0: Score, the podcast, is presented by Spitfire Audio. Score, the podcast. The only show taking you inside the studios of the world's most celebrated composers and musical storytellers. I'm Kenny Holmes. He's Robert Kraft. I sure am. Welcome to Score, the podcast. Exciting episode today. Our guest is coming to us from England. Yes. He's in Hollywood. He's an Oscar-winning composer for the film Gravity. Uh, Stephen Price is on the show today. He's also got the huge hit on Netflix, Our Planet.
1: Yeah, super interesting guy, and that Our Planet is just an incredible series. I mean, the series is remarkable, of course, but the music, I've just been enjoying how he uh, kind of narrates along with David Attenborough and there's comedy when some of these birds you know spread out their beautiful plumage and there's some very sad moments and there's actually a moment that uh is quite tragic yeah if you've watched the
0: series you probably know but in the second episode uh it's intense there's a walrus scene that got a lot of headlines and netflix stood behind it it's it's something that they believe you should see. Um, maybe you don't want to see it, but it's, it's the reality of what's, what's happening up there. And, uh, he made an interesting musical decision on that scene, so I can't wait to talk to him yeah, about that. Yeah, I'd like that. to ask
1: him, I wonder who they got to play the walrus. I mean, that's a, <laughs> that's a career-making role for, for a walrus. So.
0: Uh, so we'll be joined by Stephen Price coming up. Um, but first, obviously, uh, a massive, massive weekend at the box office. Historic, actually. Historic, uh, record-shattering Avengers Endgame Based on the numbers, it seems like you all have probably seen it two or three times by now. So you, you, you're probably already aware, but um, it's, it's a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. So the critics like it. Uh, it $350 million in North America, $1.2 billion worldwide.
1: There was a photograph I saw this morning um, in the paper of an audience in, I think it was in Portugal, In uh, Lisbon, Portugal, a sold-out crowd just staring at the screen. You realize, wow, they're watching Avengers around the world. And can you imagine making a movie, and three days after you've made the movie, you've kind of tripled your money already?
0: It's kind of like the way Netflix comes out with something, and it gets hot, only this is at the theater. Like, people are leaving their home and going to see it. And I I know several people that have seen it twice. And then not only did the film explode, but... We have uh, Alan Silvestri's score is the number three overall album on iTunes, and there's no needle drops, there's no pop songs on this album. The, is that a... is that's pretty rare. Am it's I,
1: super rare. I mean, I can't think of another score. I mean, there are a couple that are kind of legendary score albums, the Titanic, of course, but it had one song on yeah, it. Yeah,
0: it had a song that's playing... I mean, you're uh, not going to turn on Kiss FM or Z100 and hear... The theme song for Avengers by Alan Silvestri. People are
1: just hungry to relive the experience of the movie and so this is a beautiful souvenir to take home or stream or download.
0: Um, I thought it was really funny uh, CBS News put out this article. Talk about news you can use. (laughs) Uh, They they put out a thing that tells you when to go to the bathroom when you're watching Avengers because it's a three hour movie. Um, so they listed, uh, we'll, we'll put it on our Twitter at score of the podcast, but, um, they listed the key moments of the film where you can go to the bathroom and not miss an important part. But the, the headline of it all is don't go to the bathroom after two hours, uh, if you haven't seen it yet. Cause that's when all the action happens and you may miss something. If you uh, step away, just got to hold it. <laughs> um, Another thing to mention, uh, of course, our season premiere episode with Bear McCreary. He was very sneaky, Robert.
1: I didn't realize when he was talking to us about some of these things that he was actually leaking some critical, newsworthy kind of headlines. You may
0: remember him mentioning uh, the band System of a Down, particularly Surge, the lead singer, and... Um, It came up a couple of times just organically when we were talking about certain things. And then just a couple of days after we release, uh, you know, the episode with Bear, he releases this track, which is uh, a cover of the Blue Oyster Cult song, Godzilla, featuring the singing of Surge.
1: It's going to be a hit.
0: I think it's a summertime smash coming up. Well, and it's it's such a cool crossover of rock and orchestra and then you got the System of a Down sound. Uh, not only did he release that track but also uh, a little cue from the film which you can hear the I homage cue. to the uh, original Godzilla theme that he talked about in our can episode. Can you show us where that yeah, where right that here. theme you can plays. listen to it here. And you can hear that. Oh, it's rocking.
1: I think the bear is going to be trampling a lot of composers with this Score. He's going to be the Godzilla of composers by this summer. He's really stepped up his game. This score is magnificent,
0: and he's a hero to the to the uh, franchise. All the fans that have been begging for this score to be, you know, brought back into the the franchise, and Bear has done it. But then he also put his kind of rocking way yep. of doing things and and mixing it in there. Oh man, it's going to be exciting. Uh, that movie, of course, coming out later this month. Um, a couple of movies are coming out this Friday. I know that it's kind of silly to even discuss other movies in the box office because of just the, the probably repeat Avengers watchers. But if you're not a superhero fan, there's a couple of things coming out.
1: Yeah, I think that the, these are the decisions that movie studios have to make, which they call counter programming, because basically everybody you assume is going to be in the multiplex trying to get a ticket to Avengers, of course, but... I think that films like Ugly Dolls, scored by my friend Chris Lennertz, yeah. and also featuring a lot of musicians' voices, you know, the voice actors in Ugly Dolls, Kelly Clarkson, Nick Jonas, Janelle Monae, Blake Shelton, Pitbull, Dale. so you could get, a, uh, could get an audience in there,
0: kids and some, some fans of those players. It's probably going to be, a, I haven't seen a trailer of it, um, I've seen the logo out, but it's, it sounds like it's probably going to be a, a, a musical movie. Yeah, Based it, on the, the voice should actors.
1: Should be. There's also a very interesting movie in the marketplace right now called Fast Color. It's an indie mm. flick, but it's written and directed by Julia Hart, who's a very interesting young filmmaker. Mm-hmm. She she produced and, and wrote it actually with her husband, Jordan Horowitz, who a lot of people know as the producer of La La Land, mm-hmm. uh, and the production designers, the great Gay Buckley. And it was also um scored by Rob Simonson, who's one of these composers that we're going to be hearing a lot more about it's um it's kind of an anti-superhero movie so i hope it gets the attention that it deserves i think it did okay its first weekend maybe it'll hang in there for all the people that go to the multiplex they can't get into a sold-out show if you can't get into a sold-out show try fast color or ugly there, dolls
0: yeah, yeah that 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 might be kind of an interesting approach for an independent film Is to come out on a weekend like this where they know there's going to be sellouts and people are like, well, we're already here. Maybe we'll just grab a ticket and and try again next week." That's what
1: you hope if you have a picture up against the black hole in space that is Avengers. It's just (laughs) tearing everything apart.
0: Um, Be sure to follow our Twitter account at ScoreThePodcast because next week we have a really cool giveaway. I don't want to give away too much of it just yet, um, but we are going to be doing a giveaway next week. And uh, you can only qualify if you follow... Score the podcast on Twitter uh, before we get to Craftbox Studios, which is where we're headed to talk with Stephen Price as he's in from London and doesn't have a studio here in L.A. Um, we want to remind you about Blockbuster. If you haven't checked out Blockbuster, the podcast just yet. Uh, episode three is out today. Mm. Um, Blockbuster's a new original podcast series by director Matt Schrader. Mash. Schrader. Who you know from season one of uh, our show, and of course, uh, the director and writer of Score, a film music documentary. Blockbuster takes place in 1970s Hollywood, and it follows the friendship and rivalry of George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, a couple of no namers of Hollywood. And uh, they're creations of stars, and, uh, stars, Star Wars and Jaws. Jaws Wars. And also,
1: <laughs> amazingly enough, they share a composer. We have a clip from Blockbuster, don't we?
0: Yes. Here's a short trailer of Blockbuster. Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. What about strange lands and escape from the everyday? It's brilliant, George. Before anyone knew them by name.
1: Who's a good boy, Indiana? 400 grand?
0: Let me explain. George, that's our money. Blockbuster. Following the spectacular failures sir, sir, right? and the unexpected triumphs. Did you
1: believe it? I told you, Josh. I told you. A
0: six-part immersive audio series. Blockbuster. I love
1: what Matt has done. I mean, I think the series is incredible. Immersive audio is right. You put on a set of headphones and it is like going to the movies in your mind it really is all the sound effects and the story
0: and um, it's it's true it's a meticulously researched true story um peter the sound designer who did score as well did an amazing job of really taking you to these scenes it's not just hearing a story you you feel like you're there uh it's like a movie for your ears I and think you know a, i came up with that yeah is that right i heard the show and i matt said what do you think and i said I felt like I was watching a movie with my ears.
1: That is so great. In fact, speaking of movies, can I just give a little shout-out to our team? Because Score, the movie, after two years, has returned to number one at iTunes, which is just so thrilling for all of us involved. I mean, it's...
0: It's yeah. crazy after two years that it's 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 out and it's still holding... It's number one, the,
1: it's kind of interesting to look at the iTunes Best Music Documentaries chart and see number one is score, number two is Queen, number three is Led Zeppelin. I think it was
0: Amy, too, the Oscar Amy winning, was up yeah. there, yep, so it's just... Pretty cool, I'm glad that people are enjoying it, and share. I had a friend text me last night and say, I'm, I'm showing score to my parents, and my dad falls asleep in every movie I watch. And he's wide awake till the end of this thing. I so, think that should be exciting. on the
1: Rotten Tomatoes page, which is didn't fall asleep. You know, there, <laughs> that's he... <laughs> what I said. I was
0: like, that's the best blurb I've ever heard. That is Mike's great. dad didn't fall asleep. Oh, that's <laughs> Um <laughs> that's We didn't great. close out that ad, though. Blockbuster. Search it now. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts. Yep. It's Blockbuster. One word. It's a movie for your ears. A movie for your
1: ears. And we're going to be coming back right after this break with the incredible composer of gravity oscar winner and our planet the david attenborough series
0: and you, and another one that the movie didn't do so well but i really think that some of the cues are underrated uh suicide squad oh, which you're i'll play right. us out
1: such a cool jam here. Stephen price next up on score the podcast
0: Hey, Score fans, it's Kenny. Now that season two is going strong, you can look good while you're listening. We just released the official Score the Podcast t-shirt. There's multiple colors and sizes for men, women, and children. And they're super soft. I just got a few myself. They fit really nice, and they feel great, and they look cool. Uh, so go to score-movie.com slash store, check those out. And you can also get a copy of Score, a film music documentary on Blu-ray and our uh, interview bonus disc that has the extended interviews from the film. So plenty to check out score com slash store and get your shirt today. Welcome back to Score the Podcast. We are inside Craft Box Studios this week. I need a I need like a musical
1: logo. In fact, I might ask our, our guest this week to help me with, I probably couldn't afford him, but, um, <laughs> oh, come on. you know, one of those kind of, musical logos for craft box
0: maybe we can do that uh, yeah. our guest this week we are so thrilled that he's able to join us all the way from england oscar-winning composer stephen price welcome to the show stephen hello thanks very much isn't that nice
1: oscar-winning
2: composer i i yeah i kind of enjoy that.
1: i don't mean to be morbid but that's the way your
2: obituary will start i am aware of that yeah. <laughs> where is it in the house at the moment, it's not in my house. It's at my parents' house. Oh, oh how about better. that? Yeah, it lives. It lives with them. It kind of it feels like an intimidating thing looking at you if it's in your own house. So yeah, my parents enjoy that. That's but so they,
0: nice. But if they get out of line, you say I'm going to grab that Oscar back. It's handy. Yes, yeah, <laughs> <handy laughs> having these things over them. Um, thank you so much for uh, joining us. You're you're in town doing Can business. Can you tell us? Can you tell us? I mean, well, yeah, I, I mean, know
2: there's a lot of secret new projects, but what are you here for? The main for thing in Los Angeles is um, I have a show on Netflix called Our Planet which is out of the moment. Oh, really? And, um, yeah, so I'm (laughs) over for that. We're doing a bit of a screening and there's various bits of press going on with that. And then I'm sort of cramming in a few little meetings for future things around it. So this is my fun week. Usually I come over and it's recording and, you know, you're really busy and it's a bit stressful. This is like a going around saying hello to people week. How nice. Yeah. Uh, I think that a huge
1: number of our audience is probably seeing or has seen our planet i know that we are huge fans yeah and um i've looked forward because i've been watching it and anticipated this interview asking all kinds of silly questions like um you know there was one episode which i was warned about Mm. with a walrus yeah that was kind of the walrus episode yes and um You must be
2: presented with a. First of all, it's wall to wall music. I'm interrupting myself. And so it must be a huge job. Is it eight episodes? There are eight films, yeah, and they're all about 50 minutes long, and yeah, pretty much wall to wall. Uh, It seems that way. That's
0: interesting that you call it a film instead of a. Yeah, Yeah, we've
2: just always, in in that world, they're always referred to as what, you know, film, each individual film and how we link them together is kind of part of the game. I mean,
0: they are films.
2: Yeah, and they all stand alone, you know. They do. The jungle, for example. Absolutely. The orangutans. Do you. um, Where do you record? Uh, we recorded it all in London. So um, I have one day to record the orchestra for each episode. So we basically did a film a month for eight months last year. Um, and the rest of it's done in my little place. And, you know, there's quite a lot of additional instrumentation and vocal stuff that I do there. But the orchestra is done at Abbey Road. I was wondering how much is orchestral. It sounds all orchestral. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's orchestra We're, on every queue, certainly. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes two passes of orchestra if I need to go really big with things. But, wow. it's, you know, it's it's intensive days but yeah it's kind of fun
0: is this a like a dream assignment for a composer it seems like you're just getting these beautiful images and you're kind of able to craft your own story with the music with all these these animals because there's no real spoken words by the the characters on the screen so to speak
2: i mean they're wonderful things i mean that the images are incredible i think the storytelling the people who put these things together they have an incredible grasp on storytelling so all the sequences you know have a beautiful flow to them they're not scared of holding a shot, so you have opportunities to really let go of the music. And also, they give you locked cut, which never happens in my life. So you Can you think, explain to the audience what that yeah, means? Yeah, I mean, basically, the editorial process is this constantly changing thing, increasingly so since, you know, editing went digital. Yeah, And so there's constantly changes going on. And usually, as a, a film composer, you've got a version of the film. You write your cue you'll get another version of the film. There'll be things moved around, they'll chop <laughs> things around. So a lot of your your life is spent kind of trying to keep the music working, you know, and trying to save things. Whereas on something like this, where you've got a locked cut, which is kind of what it was like when I started out 20-odd years ago. You still had these locked cuts for a small period of time. You can really commit to stuff and, and you can really make sure that everything feels very intended. Everything lands exactly as
0: you wanted it to. How but- long? How long in advance do you get it uh how long have you been working on this project because it seems like the footage it probably took years and years to shoot all this
2: yeah i mean they were certainly doing it for four or five years so a huge amount of work had gone on before i got involved i knew i was doing it a good couple of years before i started to do it so i'd started fiddling around with melodies and that sort of stuff i had this kind of ever expanding scrapbook of you know maybe this one will be useful maybe this one will be useful but the intensive work on it was kind of a, a year really but with each episode, they in their schedule they would say you have a month. But I would always get the episode a couple of weeks early, so I would have a good four weeks to write each one. I'm amazed by the locked cut. That is,
1: it's a joy, luxurious, yeah, in 2020, wherever we are, um, and that's wonderful because you really do get to dig in and uh, not be concerned that they're going to say, you know what. Good news, bad news. Yeah, good yeah, news absolutely. is we love that cue. The bad news is we've actually shifted it four frames. Yeah, we it, don't right? love it anymore. Yeah. That's <laughs> we the, don't the love common it thing anymore. Um, I was speaking to you before we started. There's certain sequences. I think it might be in the jungle episode. Which episode has the beautiful shot of the birdie with its skirt out doing? Oh, the that's, yeah, dance that's that's the jungle episode. Yeah, I mean some of there's so much humor in what you write that's what i really like you'd think this could be all drama or melodrama or here comes the leopard chasing the big whatever those things are that <laughs> run across the plains and he's trying to tackle them with his pals um but some of it's very funny and i really like that and are they do they give you total freedom to say if you want to put a little kind of there's a dance sequence i remember that i thought this is Silly, funny stuff, and the animals seem like they're dancing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that one of the things they were trying to do with the show is have this balance of of pure entertainment, because obviously we've got this big message happening as well, and yeah. a lot of it is about dark things that's happening to the planet. So sequences like that were just a dream, because you know it was incredibly choreographed dance routine that was going on. And when I got it, they'd kind of cut it to some Cuban thing from like the forties or whatever. <laughs> uh, that's funny. And you were just terrified because obviously it, it's this it feels great right it just feels like a club somewhere (laughs) you know but you're thinking i'm going to do this with the the philharmonia orchestra in london this is going to be a very different thing so it's it's there's always a bit of a a worry with those comedy ones that you're gonna kind of do trite comedy music instead you know it's great i think it lightens it up and also the dramatic
0: stuff is incredible um yeah the walrus scene um robert mentioned that this this series is like wall-to-wall music and then the walrus scene happens and it goes dead silent yeah um, yeah. what was the discussion on that when you first saw that first off, what was your reaction when you saw that scene? Well, the, 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 worrying about that scene had
2: started a couple of years hence. Cause I, I know one of the camera people cause I'd worked on a previous I've show, actually the seen, the you know, one of the walrus, You're, you know, we're all <laughs> great friends now, but, um, but so the camera guy had, had sent me some pictures from his phone when that happened going like, we've just seen this amazing thing. It's like the worst day of my life kind of thing Like this shouldn't happen. So all the time through the preparations of the series, people kept saying, have you seen it yet? This sequence, it's like, you no, know, no, this is this is gonna be the we don't know how to do this because it's gonna it's it's heartbreaking. So all the time I'm getting more and more worried about this thing and how am I gonna do it. And you know, everyone knew it was the sequence really that was gonna be the big thing about climate change that would come out. So when I finally saw it, you kind of obviously the tension of this moment built when it got to the moment, I tried a few things, but you was like, I'm just getting in the way of everything here. So it was one of those moments when the only thing you could do was just get out of the way, and we actually pulled out all the sound as well, so there's like a really deafening silence, you know.
0: Yeah, it's it's eerie. Yeah,
2: super effective. Well, it's one of those things that you could just, you know, you tried everything, and it's like, well, actually, we're not. This isn't working at all. So the, the best music you could write was absolutely no music whatsoever.
1: I actually, I mean, you can imagine, there have been a number of times where the best option is when in doubt, Leave it out.
2: Yeah. If you're, if you're kind of watching it going, there's something not not connecting here, then yeah. then there may be a problem with the whole concept. And that was one of those where… All right. Just let it play, like,
1: particularly if you have incredibly
2: powerful images and yeah. story. To I mean, there's a few moments like that where we did sort of the bigger the image, almost the smaller the music went. Oh, that's so you interesting. Know, there's a, a thing in the the first episode where you see um, uh, in the in Greenland this this glacier sort of just collapsing into the sea. Like oh, yeah. 75 tons of that's ice is right. going… Yeah and that you know the noise that's coming off this thing and we had all the real sound recordings and that sort of thing and in the end i did a demo whereby we just kind of filtered off all of that sound and gradually removed it and the piece that plays over that is just a little piano and violin piece in the end the most intimate possible thing i think we used the first take that was performed because we all sat in the control room and the violinist was just learning it and it just felt like he was kind of on the edge, and he was watching the images as he played. Oh, and it was a little it kind of, raw? Yeah. Kind of that way. And, you know, like I think I recorded it three times, and we ended up using the first one because we all just never kind of got the feeling back. But just to try and make those big epic moments as personal as possible seemed to be a way to make the show kind of connect. It's just lovely, and you're really reaching a huge audience, a global audience with this one.
1: But you are accustomed to reaching a global audience with your music, because it's, it's happened on a couple times before, and I'm sure it will happen in the future. Can you... Tell our fabulous listeners a little about I mean, when I first heard your name, it was a moment of do you mean the music editor? Stephen Price? (laughs) Who cause I knew knew your name from that. So and it's not I don't think people are aware, that is not an enormous unheard of moment where a music editor is truly a composer and has gotten work as a music editor. Um I assume was your initial aspiration composing and you got work as a music editor or yeah. was it hey i'm a music editor who's better as a composer than all these others i'm going to take a shot
2: no it was really just that i always wanted to to compose that was all i ever kind of for really little that's all i ever sort of wanted to do but when you're in your 20s and you're kind of saying to people would you entrust me with the budget for your film And yeah. i'd like to <laughs> there's not a lot of doors open very quickly yeah and I kind of, I fell into music editing in this weird How? way. I was working at Abbey Road with Trevor Jones. I was kind of one of his team for a while. Yeah. And, um, they were just starting to set up a, a team there for the Lord of the Rings films. Mm. Mm. And Colette, who was the manager of, of Abbey Road, who no, you must have forever. You know, known yeah. for a long. Yeah, now replaced by Fiona. I exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, um, who was also an assistant back in those days when yeah. I was assisting. So we've all kind of grown up together. Yeah. But Colette was looking to put this team together for, for um, Lord of the Rings. And, you know, would you like to to join this thing as a music editor? And I was like, yep. No, <laughs> no clue what it would involve. No clue at that point really how Pro Tools worked. Because in my work with Trevor, we were doing other stuff. Yeah, And so got into that. And I realized there was this role where you kind of got to be involved in filmmaking. And if I couldn't compose the scores at that point, because I wasn't getting the opportunities to be in the room with the people who were really making it, seemed like it made endless sense. And I kind of ended up doing that for a fair few years and being really in the cutting room with people. It's kind of weird role music editing because it's different on every film, different composers expect different things, different directors expect different things. But you found like there was always a way to kind of work between the two and really as experience, it was amazing. I got to be around all of those things, see why people are making changes. It's not always just to annoy the musicians, you know, (laughs) sometimes there are real filmmaking reasons to do everything. Um, the difficult thing was getting out of it and kind of making the next move. Oh. You, once you become known as a music editor, that's a really and tricky And no one step.
1: really, it's the same for any profession. They say, well, he's really a music editor. He can't possibly be good as a that's composer. It. And it suits
2: everyone to keep people in a box, as we all know, you know.
1: But I think the experience of being a music editor, it's a little bit like being a master carpenter and when you want to be an architect. By the time you become an architect, <laughs> Yeah, You really understand how it's put together. I yeah. mean, music editors, as we now know, no longer just take a, what used to be a piece of tape and a razor blade and fit it together. Now you can actually take the stems yeah. and often directors, after the composer leaves, say, I really don't like half of this cue, but I like this part of the cue. Can you strip away these yeah. bits and... So
2: you understood the inner workings of how it worked, which is a oh, wonderful. By the one. end of it, you were yeah. kind of um, so used to, you know, putting Co-composing. a temp together. But you, you could see a scene and you'd have five different ways of doing that in your head, you know. So yeah. when you get to compose it, then you're looking for the sixth way and the seventh way because you kind of, there's other ways of doing it. Fabulous. You're trying to find the other one. So amazing experience. But like I say, not, not the easiest one to move on from. So how did you actually, how, how did you, what
1: was the transitional moment that allowed you to move on it or the transitional film? film?
2: It was a film called – I'd done a lot of things for work in title where I'd get the gigs where, oh, we haven't got a composer on this one. We're going to do it with source music. And then the reality of it, of course, was that, oh, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. So you'd kind of fill the gaps. And I'd become known as the person who would fill the gaps. And then um, there's a film called Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which is Edgar I Universal. Yeah. Super creative film. Wonderful film. One of those, like, I watch it now when it's on TV and you can't believe the detail that's in everything. It's like an amazing – and Edgar's great. That was the first film I kind of worked with you're right on and the first film that they acknowledged what I'd kind of done and I got an additional music credit and then six months to a year later he was producing a film called Attack the Block hmm. and they'd run into a few music problems there and they needed a composer but they'd run out of money so it's like oh that guy that helped us out on Scott Pilgrim you know he would come in and do that and then the door was open so so then you've got to go and Attack the Block was a film that wasn't seen widely it didn't make lots of money but hmm. it seemed to be seen by lots of people Lots of filmmakers. Yeah. You know, and so that opened a few doors and that was what people like Alfonso Cuaron had seen.
0: First and one's like, free and then... Now, oh, I love that.
2: Not just the first one, you know, <laughs> so there's a few ongoing. But um, but yeah, that was uh, that opened loads of doors. And it was all because really Edgar kind of recognized and supported, you know, what had Which been done on that film. Did, I guess Gravity preceded Baby Driver, correct? Yeah. yeah. Although we started Baby Driver way before that. That was the way I met Edgar. Wow. In 2007, we started working on that. So that was a good 10 years of on and off work. So when I started that, I was just going through songs with him and we were working out how songs might work to all the action. Then every couple of years, we'd pick it up again and do a few more songs. Would the songs change each few years? Yeah, there'd be more bits added and there'd be a scene here and there. And he was constantly kind of tweaking the, the script in between all the other things he was doing. But getting that film funded took a very long time. So by the time we got to do it, we'd been fiddling with the thing for seven, eight years. So I'd gone through music editing. And then in the end, I did... The whole sort of composing job to interlink everything on Baby Driver. So
0: the music gone. rights alone probably took a long time. That was to fun. Figure yeah, out. yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but you know,
2: there were kind of clever choices in that. There were quite a lot of obscure things that you kind of recognised because they were sampled by someone else. It was yeah. all. Yeah, he's got like an incredible record collection, and he kind of made good use of it.
1: I bet because he's very he's very musical. I'd love to know just um, your score for Gravity mm. is tr- not only Oscar winning but Oscar worthy and. Because it was. There were two things that happened when I first saw Gravity. One was what I just described, which is: is this Stephen Price, the, the music editor, as a composer? That's. I mean, I, you had literally kind of morphed into this major composer without actually telling me, which I really <laughs> think we should talk about. But, um, Be sure to call Robert Kraft if you make any career career moves. Always, always. (laughs) That's it. But also, it was such a unique concept for music. Mm -hmm. I mean, conceptually, the music for Gravity is really modern. I I I don't know if modern is the right word. Adventurous. I don't know if that comes from you going to Alfonso and say, "Listen, dude, listen, amigo, this is what we're doing." He doesn't usually work that way. No. Uh, it's the opposite. Did he say to
2: you, I want you to feel free and stretch out? Essentially, it was it, when I first met him, he, he'd basically been told to try music in his film because his original concept for it didn't really involve music. It was going to be a very arty, sort of, you know, a little bit of muffled sound where the vibrations would pass through the spacesuits, but not a musical thing.
1: I'm resisting telling the Alfred Hitchcock story with Bernard Herrmann and Lifeboat. You know it.
2: You should tell it, though.
1: Uh, I mean, Alfred Hitchcock – Bernard Herrmann called Alfred Hitchcock to say, I'm ready to start this next movie. You're working on Lifeboat. And Hitchcock said, you know, there's not going to be any music in the movie because uh, they're out on a lifeboat in the middle of the ocean. So where's the orchestra? And Bernard Herrmann famously said, OK, where are the cameras?
2: So um, <laughs> so yeah, so I get called into to a meeting because he – Again, you know, I was I was kind of sort of known as someone who'd done sort of the weird jobs that oh. you know fit in. So and he 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 knew Edgar, so I think he checked me out with with Edgar and all that. And I went and his first words pretty much were kind of like, "They they want me to try music. I hey I don't want film music, and then go away and come back in a few weeks." And we had a couple of hours chatting at that point about you know what the music could be. And I'd seen little bits of clips of the thing, and we just started. talking. It, to me, it sounded. I could, I could hear what things could sound like. So I knew there was this sort of glassy kind of um, strangely Perfect moving way. around sort of thing. And, you know, the way the camera moved, the fact that the camera was kind of spinning around, you felt like you're in space. We started talking really early on about the idea that, you know, perhaps music should glide around in this. Music shouldn't sort of, we shouldn't go note to note. It should, everything should feel like it sort of swims around. Why is the music all coming out of the front speakers? Why couldn't the music be all around us? And the whole thing started to take shape. So I then went home having talked all of this stuff in the meeting and then had to sit there and work out how to give him something that made this real and just started playing around really and just threw stuff at the picture and started sending things in just like these really rough ideas and he would respond and the great thing about Alfonso was he responds with like oh that's interesting that bit there that's the noise you stick with that and would see how far that one can go and gradually these cues would evolve and I would take things in and Often we'd go in for meetings where we, we, he just play records that he liked. and kind mm. of like, There's something about the sound. of <laughs> the, This trumpet in this, this um, Godspeed, you Black Emperor track here, it sounds like it's miles away. I like that. I like the idea that things would sound like they're in different spaces. Then I'd go home and, try and translate that into the film. And it just evolved and evolved and evolved. And I think we were pretty solidly working on it for eight, nine months in these layers. A lot of the cues, if you hear the first demo of it, the shape of them never really changed. Mm. But the detail did. And you might do 200 versions, come back to version 2, but with one element of version 200 that made it work. Remarkable. So it was, yeah, a f- fascinating experience with someone like that.
1: I'm curious, were you in the same room with Alfonso in the beginning or was it all just sending stuff? It was
2: sending stuff in and then, then every couple of weeks I'd go in and we'd sit in the room. And largely you come to, to Los records. Angeles? No, he was he was kind of flitting between uh, London and Italy at that point. Ah. so we would kind of, and the London weeks I'd spend a, a bit of time with him, and it was only ever a couple of couple of hours every fortnight or something. Yeah, and then an awful lot of sending him demos, which he would often call me from wherever he was, and we'd both watch the thing at the same time while he had Skype and all that, and we'd just sort of talk about things. So you know, it it was he's great. He he gives you opportunity to to keep pushing. And he will always, as long as you're pushing, he will keep supporting you. You know, if you stop and you feel he feels like you're you're, you know, happy with something, he's not happy. But you know, if if he feels like you're pushing and you're just seeing how far an idea will go, he will support you to the end of the earth. And that was that was incredible.
0: Did you have a sense of how big this movie was no. going to be? Like when you were seeing the the dailies and all the different stuff?
2: Not at all. Not at all. In fact, the only time I I did get a real sense of it, I remember. Towards the end of, of the demoing process, I went into the, the guy who was doing the 3D imagery stuff. He was kind of converting the film into 3D. And I saw just one little bit of it in 3D. I remember thinking, God, I've never seen anything like that before. And it, all of a sudden, all these things we were doing with the, the, the 3D sound almost kind of thinking, oh, this could be really interesting. Because a lot of what I was working on were quite basic graphics. You know, you'd have a, a head floating across the screen <laughs> and a polygon and alphonse would say well you've missed that thing there that bit of debris And it's like, well, it's not there you know you you probably had it in the the vfx screen and you just had that there was a lot of that there's a lot of kind of him telling me what was going to happen um so yeah i i didn't really get it until very late in the process like that we did a little preview screening just before i went to record and it just felt like it was coming together um but yeah it was for a long time we were all kind of like hmm I know if this is going to (laughs) work.
1: I really Mm. like hearing and being reminded of his attention to detail of music because it reminds me more than anything that the great directors, there's no aspect of the filmmaking process that they're not incredibly attentive to. And I don't think people are aware that there's a reason that Alfonso or Ang Lee Mm. or Ridley Scott, that these are magnificent artists because if you have the experience as you have of sitting in, in a room with them, their attention to the music is as ferocious as it is to the dialogue, the lighting, the casting. And uh, I think in some ways you think, well, music is the composer's domain and the director doesn't really get involved. The directors like this, talking about swirly bits and that little thing in the screen, There's a reason they win so many awards and make so many brilliant movies. And I was always surprised because I kind of default to music is really hard to understand if you're not a musician. So you possibly,
2: let me take care of this. But it's nice hearing you say that he was
1: as involved as he was.
2: But he was so feel-led as well. You know, he may not understand the technical term of what, you know, he was asking the strings, you know, to do, but he knew if he was feeling it and he knew the second in the queue and it wasn't working for him. And then we'd kind of try and work out why it was going wrong, you know, and I try another version.
0: I <laughs> think that's what's attainable to the public though. Like most people that watch a movie aren't musical, but yeah. if you feel the music, that's the whole point.
2: Absolutely. And, it, and the dub is a whole part of that as well. I mean, the music in that film is incredibly loud. There's no real sound design in it beyond these vibrations. So the music was played loud which meant I could be subtle, you know, if I wanted to plant a little theme somewhere in the distance in the left surround speaker, they were going to hear it. So thematically, you could do all these things. So it's just—I mean—it's an absolutely unique kind of canvas for a music yeah. person to work. Yeah, is there
0: with. a lot of—I mean—in your experience of just watching other films, have you have you heard anyone taking this approach? It was kind of a revolutionary approach in the film music. I think it was
2: a bit of a a, a unique film in lots of ways. You know, I haven't seen anything that's, that's used the 3d world in that sort of way. We avatar maybe back in the, back in the day, it was an amazing 3d thing, but, but nothing that was like quite the experience that that one was. So for music, it was, yeah, just this unique job. Do you know, there was a moment, um, and I can't remember if there's music
1: in this scene, there was an additional bit of gravity that was posted online two months later or six months later which was directed by Alfonso's son
2: oh anhinga the, the the little the, the um the short yeah the other side of the conversation exactly right is there music in that yeah song? yeah yeah i thought all... there
1: might be i couldn't remember was that an additional piece of score you yeah.
2: wrote yeah that that came up when i was was i thought i was nearing the end of the mix and then that that film was sent to me it's yeah so it's it is basically the other side of a conversation you see in the film but you're now sort of, I think was it was Iceland where you yes. see the, yeah, the, the, the. I guess Sandra Bullock way. calls Earth kind of. She's fading,
1: yeah, and she's saying, you know, I'm not going to be here very much longer. And she hears a scratchy voice on the other end, yeah. and it's a, it's a gentleman in an igloo, yeah. maybe, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's a scene in the film. Then I believe Alfonso's son and for all the listeners that are interested it's worth finding this Alfonso's son the director's son and i think he was the co-writer of the film yeah, that's right yeah. went and shot the other side of that conversation: What yeah. would be happening in the igloo with the dog and the wife? Maybe that's it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the dog the,
2: was ill, and the kind of the, 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 she was hearing the dog barking, and yeah, it's, right. It's a it's lovely just, little film.
1: It's so great, and I couldn't remember, so you had to go score. Yeah, yeah but yeah, I, yeah. I assume they paid
2: you extra. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> as, as you say, the first one's free, and anyway, we so yeah. <laughs> uh, no, you know, so it's one of those things that you just wanted it to feel like it was part of that world. So yeah, oh, was, so great. Lovely to do.
0: We're going to take a quick break. Uh, much more with Stephen Price. We're going to talk about Wonder Park. And uh, maybe a couple more questions about our planet since uh, sure. it's, it's hot right now and it's in 4K. Go watch it. Uh, we'll be right back.
1: Hey, SCORE fans, it's Robert Kraft. We're back to the show in 25 seconds. If you like what you're hearing, do us a quick favor. Rate and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. It just takes a second and it helps the show grow. Hey, thanks. We're going back to the show right now.
0: Welcome back. We're here with Oscar-winning composer Stephen Price, joining us all the way from England. Really exciting to hear about, for me, to hear
1: about gravity. I just think that's so interesting, the way you approached it. I, uh... How,
0: uh, how has your career changed once you step up on that stage and join that, that illustrious group but well, Oscar me, winners. winners. by the way, I want to interrupt to say
1: there are two answers to this question, which you hear through show business. One is I never got called again. I, I don't <laughs> think that's the case. And the other is, you know, it was a rocket ship.
2: But I've heard both answers. I'm on the edge of my seat. Please, maestro. Well, for me, I mean, the great thing is that I got to do this again, you know, because I, I, that before Gravity, who knows if, if I have got to score many films, you know, it's a tricky business the fact it happened so quickly in, in my career in terms of the perception of it, because no one ever thinks you've kind of been working for 15 years in the build up to these things. It's like, Oh, and I, I remember the first words to my wife afterwards, like, I'm going to spend the rest of my life kind of proving this now Oh. because you know, you, the one hit wonder thing is, is a very sort of scary thing. Yeah. So, you know, and that's, that's kind of how I see it now. It's like, you know, I'm incredibly proud of it. And if I can build a career from it, then fantastic, you know, because it was, it was such a, a unique opportunity.
0: Do you remember the nerves sitting in the chair? Did you think you had a shot? I mean, what was who going your, through
2: your mind? Who were your competitors that year? Oh, well, it was ridiculous. I was sitting next to John Williams. Oh, who, oh, who, oh him? Who? I had Thomas Newman sitting, oh, sitting next to him. Uh, Alexander oh, Desplat was there. It was, and, and the guy from Arcade Fire was there. He yeah. had done a beautiful Will. score that year. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it was incredible. The whole week of that was was just remarkable. You felt so kind of honored to be around it. John Williams kind of kept looking over me and just giving me a little wink here and there and kind of like, you're okay. You know, you, you <laughs> don't don't worry, it's going to be okay. You know, and the first person I saw when they called the name out was John Williams, He couldn't have been sweeter. So that's a huge memory for me. Mm. I mean, the, the nerves, it just, it gets insane by that point. The, the big nerves were the, the Golden Globes, which is the first time I'd ever been to a, an awards ceremony of any kind. I was absolutely terrified to the extent I think, I mean, I lost it. And I think it was good because if I had won it, I think A, I probably would have collapsed on the way to the stage, <laughs> but also it kind of made you sort of go, Oh, this is, this is fine. You know, it doesn't, it, this, the experience is the thing. Yeah. So by the time we got to the Oscars, it was the first time my wife had come out to join me. I'd done this sort of whole sort of campaign-y thing that you do mm-hmm. on my own. So it was just like, it's great. You know, this is, this is fun. So we enjoyed it. And all our friends were there. A lot of people on gravity that we'd grown very close to. In a so one lot of awards? Yeah, it was a big and night it did. for the so, film. And you know, and, and we kind of just had a nice time. It was like it was it was like being around with your friends, really. Yeah. It was very surreal. I mean, had a running joke with the guy who won for editing that night that which one of us was, you know, if we ever did do anything like, that, who was going to fall over and do a sort of viral YouTube thing? Who was uh, going to sort of trip on the you know, way to the podium, spontaneously vomit or something? Right. You know, I like that. So it's, it was, yeah, it was, it was. joy really
0: well you have gotten more gigs obviously uh our planet which we were talking about in the first block there um and also wonder park which just came out uh last month yeah very recently yeah um was that your first animated it was yeah i I wanted to
2: be involved in animation forever you know it's kind of i grew up with animation and you know we had lots of stop frame stuff when i was a kid and you know i have children now so that's the thing we watch together and so I'd been kind of you know, looking for animation for years and years and years. And then this one came up off the back, funnily enough, of a, of a natural history show I'd done for the BBC, mm. which the filmmakers which had seen. It was called The Hunt, and mm. we did it in 2015. Um, same producers who've gone on to make Our Planet. So it's one of these sort of long-term relationships. Yeah. But they'd seen that, and you know, we'd sent them some music from that, and they put it up against Picture, and that got me this, this animation opportunity. And I loved working in animation. It's kind of... It's, yeah, I, I hope I get to do it again at some point because it's an incredibly interesting form. I think one of the misnomers
1: about animation, I was always asked by young composers, well, isn't there an animated film I could do? With the assumption being that'll be much easier. Ooh, yeah. Than, right, and they don't realize animation is not unlike our planet, is often wall-to-wall. Yeah. You are often the real storyteller. You're as much a storyteller as the script writer because you're evoking all kinds of emotions that are not in an actor's face yeah. that are drawn on. So you said you loved it and it was interesting. Was it difficult?
2: Yeah, it's very difficult, but in a kind of rewarding way. It's one of those forms that the more you put in, the more it kind of gives you back. You know, I I like the iterative kind of way it works. You know, I'd get a, a sequence, I'd write a bit of music, then maybe they'd send me a, a slightly reworked version where there was a little bit more detail in the emotion on the face and because they put it there, you know it's intended. You know that you can kind of draw something on it, and the whole thing comes together. So, I felt it suited the way I worked. I like the sort of the constant evolution of music, you know. And animation keeps evolving as they as the, they go through their process. And the lighting will change things, and a little oh, bit that's of colour that changes the colours I use. And so gradually, it felt like we we both got better together, you know.
1: That's really interesting. I never thought about that. So, your score would evolve and your orchestrations would evolve yeah, with absolutely. the picture.
2: Totally. And, you know, these phases that they have, you know, it'll start off almost like a flick book and then they'll start to build the animation. But then you'll have the sort of the lighting and the background stuff. And all of a sudden, the, the, the color that I'm working with would change. And especially, I kind of write a lot of textural music anyway, and there's a lot of sort of things beyond the orchestra going on that kind of react differently to colors on screen. And Wonder Park kind of had lots of beautiful colors in it, but also kind of a darkness thing that was going on. And you found yourself kind of painting around that a lot. So, yeah, really enjoyed that process.
1: Can I ask about your process? You can say no, absolutely not. But when you said that, it makes me wonder, are you all writing in the box as they say yeah. Are you pencil and papering
2: ever again does anybody use a pencil and paper i i turn to it when i'm stuck i find i find sometimes if i'm kind of harmonically a bit stuck then sometimes seeing it makes it a lot easier right you can kind wow. of you can almost see the mistakes so much of it because of the time factor and all that sort of stuff is written into a computer yeah. but i start off projects away from that and I, an awful lot of my stuff starts late at night whilst i'm kind of thinking about a project, but kind of left work for the day, but I'm playing a guitar or there's a little keyboard in my living room or whatever. There's a huge amount of iPhone memos basically that all my projects seem to start with. It's like a rapper. When, yeah. you go.
0: when you're in a rut, is there something you turn to or something you do to kind of cleanse your palate, if you will? I'm bad with that. I, I tend to sort of do the
2: worst. I just keep plowing away and keep trying new things. So often the solution is to go out and do something else, right? And then the, the solution will appear in your mind, but I'm, I tend to, there's a bit of me that, that kind of feels like you have to suffer a certain amount, and sometimes you have to reach the pits of despair before the idea will come. So sometimes I feel I'm kind of earning it.
0: Do you use the old uh, voice memo? If you, something pops in,
2: you just kind of record it? Oh, yeah, yeah, Loads of those. Loads of sort of um, embarrassed, sort of half-sung, because there might be someone in the room next door, kind of.
1: Or somebody things. driving the Uber.
2: Yeah, exactly,
1: exactly. Uh, there's a anything. great story, I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, that Hans got an idea for one big cue from the... Rhythm of the windshield wipers. Is it, you know, the rhythm of the windshield wipers was in three? I've heard this so many times and I've never asked them if
2: it's true or not. Oh, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. There's so many things. It's it's always when you've just, you might have struggled all day with something and then you you go out and there'll be something, the clicking of it, the dripping of a tap or something. It's like,
0: oh, that would have solved this. You know, Uh, that rhythm would have
2: been interesting.
0: Do you think there's a difference? Um, We talked about this a little bit last season with some composers that are from uh, across the pond. But um, being from London, do mm. you think that your style or your approach is different from a, an American-born composer just from the music you grew up around? I mean, it
2: may well have done. I mean, I, I certainly feel that, that being in London, there's there's not that many of us sort of working in, in movies living over there. And there isn't the kind of community. I'd, you know, there's a couple of us that, that meet up for dinner every now and then, and we have a sort of mutual phone calls, that self-help sort like of who? thing. Like who? Me and Dan Pemberton are quite quite oh, good at, at meeting up and having a chat and going, like, what's happening on yours? Oh, God, really? <laughs> we do a fair <laughs> amount of that. I think, I'm, cre- session? I think I'm credited on his, his King Arthur score as, like, being tea and sympathy or something. So <laughs> Lovely. It's, um, so, you know, but I think we, we are kind of a little outside the business in some ways, and that's bound to have some sort of effect. And musically, you know, I, I grew up around, you know, British music. You know, it's like my, my folks were obsessed with the 60s british rock stuff you know i grew up with an awful lot of that and i still listen to that all the time um i don't know how you know that differs from how people grew up over here i'm sure in lots of ways it's similar but we're definitely outside of it and working techniques whenever i come over here there seems a bit much bigger community of composers or who, who are all sort of sharing the way that they work and that sort of stuff where i feel I kind of i don't know that, so i just do what i do
1: there is a big community here in los angeles yeah there really is and um mutual respect and a lot of Understanding, because of course there's we all have in that in our work there's the forward facing oh yeah everything's great and then there's the you know when you close the door on and the world goes outside the truth comes out of you know you crawl into a kind of fetal position and say I'll never finish this film and it will always be horrible. Um, (laughs) I'm curious when you say your parents I thought you were going to finish that sentence another way, which is my, my parents listened to you know Purcell or Benjamin Britten or you said they listen to 60s rock music of course did you was it clear that you were going to get a formal education in music that you were entirely musical as a kid were you rebellious or did you play in a rock band
2: <laughs> it's all i started off playing the guitar that was my first instrument and i started off um classical guitar hmm. but of course if you if you get classical guitar then at some point you're going to see the shiny sort of colorful guitar over there and try that so you <laughs> kind of gradually skew off into all these other sort of things but it was really recording that, that I liked doing. I kind of got a four-track tape machine very, very early nice. on. And that was it. I just used to play that all day long and sort of work out, you know, reversing the tape and all this sort of stuff. I used to find overdubbing endlessly fascinating in this, like, constant um, what the effect of putting one instrument with another instrument and you could make these balance tracks together yeah absolutely that was the fun of it and (laughs) and, you know different speeds and all that sort of stuff and you'd be reading your books about how they used to do it back in the day so that was always my fascination live stuff i was always terrified of but the the beavering away in the studio yeah. Stephen that's has a fun.
0: huge smile on his face talking about <laughs> oh, this that's right? so yes, nice.
2: I, I kind of I miss my four track in some ways life and, was life was simpler then. and it makes me think about all those great
1: Beatles stories of how they yeah. were bouncing things together and totally. there you end up at Abbey Road did you ever think when you're bouncing four track tapes that you would end up in the room oh, God. where it
2: was basically refined and invented uh, and it's still Jeff insane. Emmerich oh, bouncing stuff together God rest his soul Yeah, I mean, yeah. and you still wander through the corridors there and the tape machine that they did Sergeant Pepper it's just sitting in the corridor just in case anyone wants to use it you know yes. it's just a magical have you done sort work with
0: bands and stuff too um, do you have interest in doing that
2: i kind of like doing doing a lot of song stuff i mean it's kind of one of the things that like in in my future i hope i get to do some sort of you know more of that kind of thing i love doing arrangements that sort of thing whenever a song comes up in a film i'm always kind of the first one to say to the director let's let's make this fit in with the score which is basically a way of can i be involved please
0: you did a song on our planet
2: yeah right? yeah absolutely i mean that the was a credit song that's it exactly and and um it's beautiful well thank you I mean, it, was, it was one of those things that that it wasn't my idea to do it netflix and and wwf who were very involved in the show mentioned doing a song ellie's very involved in wwf she talks a lot about ellie Golding. ellie <laughs> golding sorry yeah um, so the idea of doing it, and of course I did my, well, it should really be like the score because, you know, we don't want something to feel like it's just plonked on the end, like a bit of commerce, you know. So I got involved in it and I love doing that because it's a different world for me. Songs is kind of something I find a fascinating form anyway, what makes a good song, you know. So, yeah, we, we managed to combine the themes from our planet. With Ellie's contribution and kind of gradually evolved that, sending things back and Very
1: forth. Very cool. Was there an actual afternoon where you and Ellie Goulding sat at a piano?
2: And Sadly, not. No, there was an afternoon where we watched bits of the show together. And, okay. and, and there was That'll lots do. of and there were lots of of emails going back and forth with me saying this this tunes quite in in quite a lot of it. That's and good. she kind of responded to that. Video. It's actually
1: one of my favorite approaches to the song at the end of a film. You just said it, which is to take some thematic bit. Yeah. I mean, it worked okay. Let's see, what was that little film about the boat that hits the iceberg? Oh, God. And um, uh, James Warner had to take that theme and, and get a lyric written to it. It was,
0: we, it was a titanic success.
1: It was. <laughs> it'll come to you. Yes. Like arranging the deck chairs somehow. <laughs> um, did that actually George Fenton. Uh we turned one of his cues into a song it's a really wonderful way to approach it and find something that sounds melodically like it could be a pop song yeah
2: it just feels like it belongs I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's something great when you feel like that everything has been thought out in a film and the opposite also has
1: happened i've worked with our fabulous mutual friend patrick doyle on a movie where we were informed that avril levine had a new single right. and it was actually i don't think this was presented as an option it was going to be over the end title of the film and i remember sitting with patrick doyle in the control room of air listening to the song and looking at each other and i think pat i don't think i can actually repeat what patrick's response (laughs) i can imagine when (laughs) he said because the way it was going to be is the last beautiful cue of the film kind of tapers off and then this sort of punk pop smash song <laughs> comes in and uh it just was really jarring yeah and really inappropriate and by the way it also contributed some money to the score so well that's the
2: thing and you know with with things like the our planet thing but the first my first reaction was like oh this feels like a scored thing but the ultimate aim of the show is that we get as many people to watch it in the world as possible because well, of a what huge it's about success well the hope is that people watch it and it it makes them right. think about you know the issues and all that so if having Ellie Goulding involved means her entire fan base come to this show, fantastic, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, and there was a big controversy about, like, like the, we were talking about the walrus scene. People were like, oh, you shouldn't have showed that. But the whole idea, it's not yeah. like... The producers went out there and pushed walruses off a cliff. You're just watching what's happening, and it's real. Yeah, I mean, this is what's happening.
2: Absolutely, and and you know, there's talking to the the filmmakers on this. There's so many examples. You know, that was that was the most clear one. But every time they go back, there's less sea ice. You know, it's terrifying. Have you had a chance to go down to your neighborhood pub with David Attenborough? We we haven't gone to the pub as yet, but I have I have been lucky to meet him on a couple of occasions because I I grew up with his voice. You know, I, I. Remember, he did a show in I think 1979 called Life on Earth, and they showed that a lot during the early 80s when I was growing up. So a lot of my memories are of that voice, and he's been kind of this great figure in. 92 years old. Yeah, and and in great health, and I think his his narration on our planet he sounds way younger than he has for years. He's like, he's brilliant, and he performs his narration to the music. So I will record. Sometimes I haven't recorded yet. He's do it to demos. You know, we haven't got to the record day. But he has this ear that, that he plays around the music. So he kind of has... That's awesome. It's incredible. You know, and I've, I've always been kind of, can I hear his stuff first? Because I want to write to him. But with this show, I kind of, oh, actually, it's better if he does it. And there's scenes when he's just made the music better just by the way he's placed the words.
1: He's a top liner. Yeah. It's like in pop music, you're giving him a kind of rhythm track.
0: Totally. And he's writing a melody. You when we Before we started recording, you talked about how you met with the filmmakers. Yeah. Um, what did, what did you learn about the process on this cuz it seems like if you watch this show and if, if you've li- if you're listening and you've watched these these camera crews and these producers must be sitting in these places for months to oh, get years. one yeah. shot and then when it actually happens you better make sure it's in focus and long lenses it just seems impossible
2: oh and they are the most dedicated wonderful people it's one of those those areas this where everyone involved is so dedicated you know this they are going to be spending four or five years doing something they're doing it for the right reasons they're all incredibly interested in the subject matter they go out for years i mean there's there's sequences in there there's i think the forest episode there's a sequence where they got 36 shots and it took them two years and during that time for huge chunks of it months at a time the camera people would just be in a little shed basically locked away on their own eating drinking everything else in that place just for those shots. And year after year, they go back. So, you know, when you end up getting this sequence beautifully edited together, you've got to make them like it as well. I'm
1: just amazed. I mean, there's a scene with a male and a female leopard, I Mm. believe, uh, in the desert, maybe. And they catch them on a date. Mm. um, A very brief one, yeah. A very brief date. (laughs) But um, I thought, where, where is the cameraman? Is he hidden behind a rock for day after day after day? Is there a... A stationary camera they just you know is it a drone
2: there's a lot of camera trap stuff in some of that stuff where they they, they now have the technology to leave cameras in places they know that these animals might pass mm. and then they're triggered by the movement but i mean it's so often the way that you know they waited a couple of years for a shot like that and when it happens just so happens the sun's coming up beautifully in the
0: background right. It's like, oh.
2: like it's the, the process seems to reward them some of it has
0: to be luck yeah like the glacier breaking apart on that yeah. first episode it's like I mean, did, did someone take a little blowtorch out there? Just to, <laughs> <laughs> Like, how do you time that but up? That,
2: that was the last hour of the last day of shooting. They'd been waiting for weeks for that thing to happen. They were going to leave. And then, then suddenly they heard the noise from a distance. And oh. the stories of, of um, they went up in a helicopter to shoot that. And as that thing's going down, there are blocks of ice that are as big as a truck that's flying up towards the helicopter. <laughs> and the guy who was um, directing that show has told me that, you know, he was probably fearing for his life, yeah. you know. But they got the footage and yeah.
0: Just just incredible people. Well bravo. That show is incredible. And again, Robert said he might have to update his T V because I don't know. Do you not have four K?
1: I'm I'm not sure. I'm Robert K. And I know we have so we have (laughs) RK. I'm RK. I don't think I have 4K. It's worth it. Upgrade your TV if you're And I'm amazed how – I mean, there's one scene of a shark coming towards the camera, which is so – the shark is so present and glossy and kind of beautiful on the screen that I don't know what 4K probably scare me. Yeah, it's it's quite uh, something – just, Stephen, before we let you go, you said you're in, in Hollywood this week having lo- lots of lovely meetings. Anything you can share? What you're working on right now?
2: At the moment, I'm doing a film. I don't think I'm allowed to say what it is, but I'm having loads of fun doing um, something different. With It's another film which is a bit more experiential. Oh, good. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm playing a lot with, with brass bands and, and uh, organs and voices and sort of trying to make a, a bit of a different sound for something at the minute. We should record in a couple of months' time.
1: So you'll record it in the U.K.? Yeah
2: yeah, that's right. And uh, uh, yeah, so that's that's going on. And Edgar's got a new film on the way, Edgar Wright. So we started fiddling around with that as well. So and do you think that. Edgar will have lots of songs in his new film as well? There's certainly a song component, but there's, yeah, I'm, I'm starting nice and early in the sort of spirit of, uh, let's let's see what we can do with score. And that sort. is so exciting.
0: Do you have a dream collaboration? Is there someone that you'd just love to work with their style or something like it's, that? It's It tends to be, I'm, specifically,
2: I don't know, but it's, it tends to be the people like the ones I've been lucky to work with you love music and use mm. it well in their films you know mm-hmm. someone like alfonso he's gonna give music its day in court you know a lot of this natural history stuff the planet music is is valued you know yeah. and, the, and there's very few of those so it's it's really the people who are going to push you to find something that's really unique to their project you know my, my dream thing is where you do a score that can't be tempted into anything else because it would be ridiculous right i always find gravity odd if i hear it anywhere other than that film yeah you know if you see it on tv doing a sporting event or something it's to me it's like well, they're not in space. That doesn't work. <laughs> so, you know, that's the, the, the ideal. Any dream collaboration is just when you're both on the same team, you know, because if you've got so that, great. then you can kind of do something a bit different. And I really like
1: that criteria. It can't be tempt anywhere else. It's like if you saw that outfit somewhere, you'd say, well, that's very particular to either that team, that sport, yeah. uh, that movie that's and it
2: so, you listen back to you know great records through the year they they sound weird when you first hear them I and mean, the first time you hear pet sounds that's a that's a strange sounding yeah. record you know it sounds peculiar but now you've got used to it and it, it can only be that thing and that's it's always trying to find those little areas
0: well stephen price this has been a treat uh thank you Truly. so much for joining score the podcast thank you all the way from england um, we want to re- remind our listeners to follow us on Twitter, at ScoreThePodcast, and be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And I think if
1: you have a chance, do something that I just did, which is watch Gravity again. I remember thinking this score was remarkable, but when I saw it again just a few days ago, I was really...